Welcome to Sons of a Gun, a podcast about the DC Universe. I'm Alex Gunn. I'm Justin Gunnigan. I'm Pete. Also last name Gunn. We're all three sons of a gun. We have a celebrity father who we don't like to talk about, but totally coincidentally, there's a guy named James Gunn who is now running the DC Universe. And one of the big movies that's coming out, winkity wink wink, which is coming out very soon, is Blue Beetle. That's Cannot coming out wait. Theaters in August 18th. So, just a little bit of a, a ground rule stuff here, just so everybody knows, if you're wondering. This is not technically a James Gunn, Peter Safran movie. They are the new heads mm. of the DCU. However, uh, Zolo Maraduena, Maraduena? Zolo Maraduena, that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he has said that they've been talking to them and the movie does well. He is probably going to move forward in some sense in the new DCU, even if yes. this movie itself is not a DCU movie. So it's that weird level of the character will be canon, but maybe the movie is or isn't canon. Regardless... Yeah. What we're going to do is what we've been doing with a lot of the stuff that ties into James Gunn's DCU is talk about some required reading before you see the movie. Specifically, we are going to talk about Blue Beetle, Jaime Ray's book one from DC Comics, written by Keith Giffen and John Rogers, art by Cully Hamner, Duncan Rouleau, Raphael Albuquerque. The Kirky! Cynthia Martin, Kevin mm-hmm. West, Phil Moy, Jack Purcell, and Casey Jones. From Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Yeah, there. Casey Put Jones. Put down the right. hundred right. and picked right. up the pencil. Who knew? Who knew? Colors by David Self and Guy Major. Letters by Phil Balsman, uh, Pat Brousseau, and Jared K. Flesher. This was originally published. The title was originally published between 2006 and 2009. It came out from what DC Comics right out of the event called Infinite Crisis. Uh, That was Jaime's first appearance. We got to see a little bit of his origin there as he teamed up with the heroes of the DC Universe to take down a evil giant satellite robot that Batman had created called Brother Eye. We got a lot of that in this book that we'll talk about in a moment. But even if you don't know any of that, even if you don't know that Infinite Crisis was immediately followed by an event called One Year Later, where all of the titles skipped a year, jumped ahead, gave different status quo for the characters. Actually, I think it was halfway through Infinite Crisis, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, none of that matters. You get all that information in the book. You don't need to know any of that stuff. You can jump right in here. And this is, of course, a great primer for the movie, even though they're going to go in very different directions, seemingly just based on the footage we've seen. This is one of the best regarded launches for a new character, asterisk, a legacy character, because there are two Two plus previous Blue Beetles. There yeah. was Ted two Cord main. and Dan Garrett are the two main ones. They both had a Scarab beforehand, but this is, other than that, pretty much a complete reinvention of what the Scarab is, what the mythology is. And over the course of this book, we meet Jaime, we meet his family, we meet his friends, we explore his world, we get some DC characters get in the mix, and ultimately we find out a little bit, but not all of his origin in this first volume. Um, the biggest twist is saved for the second volume, which we'll probably talk about a little bit. Uh, just because it's relevant to what is going on here. So if you don't want to know spoilers for that, turn away. But before we get into any specifics for the book, let's broadly talk. We talked about this back in the day. We read this back in the day. All of us love this. Huge fans of this book. 
Justin, you always talk about a Blue Beetle is like or could be the Spider-Man of the DC Universe. Spider-Man of the DCU, and I think that's where we're going. And it was only affirmed on the reread of this. Yes. Well, let's talk about that part in particular, because this is the first time I've always thought of it fondly in my head, but I'm always very curious to check out something again. Be like, does it match up to the hype that I've hyped myself up for? Pete, you're smiling here. Take it yeah. away. What was it like rereading, revisiting this material? Well, first, I just want to say yes, because it is one of those things where you read something originally and then you talk about it for years, talk about how great it is. Going back after so many years to reread it, I was very nervous because I was like, man, I hope this holds up because I've been. You've changed. I've changed. You know, there's been a the lot of things changed. changing. The world's changed. Name so you have a scarab change. on your Name back. one change yeah. of the world. Yeah, I have since a beetle that lives in my spine. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's, there's a lot. That's, just oh, that's a, a dangerous that's a bug. Amazonian a bug. bug. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I could, you know, it kind of puppet masters me around. It. Oh, so, Ratatouille is you? Yeah, yeah. Nice. It's a Ratatouille situation with my spinal cord. Um, <laughs> but, uh, That's the best way to Ratatouille, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, the original Pixar line. movie, the rat crawled into his spine. It was the yeah. same thing. Yeah. yeah. Kids it was an H.R. Geiger alien style <laughs> xenomorph ratatouille. Yeah, but after the first round of notes, they changed it to just living underneath the hat a little bit. So, what if he yanks his hair a little? Yeah. Good day. I, I think uh, this holds up. I was so excited that it held up. It was so fun rereading it and kind of being like, oh, yeah. Uh, I love his family. I love his friends. Like the cast of characters, the character design, all of that was so awesome and just as great as I remember it. Um, yeah, just so bright and colorful. It, uh, you know, for a DC book, it's really unique and different, which I really appreciate. Um, I had such a great time going back and rereading this. I was so happy that we're doing this because. It was such a great read. It's such a it's such a good book. Just and why is it? Yeah. I, I also really enjoyed it, and it really got me thinking about sort of what elements were pulled together to make this a good book. And to break them down a little bit, you've got um, uh, two writers, a steady hand comic book legend, Keith Giffen, yep. um, on one side, and then John Rogers, who's a screenwriter, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, sort of new to comics. And I think that fusion... Uh, much like a scarab and a spinal cord, uh, led to uh, just a great sense of like uh, an injection of all fresh energy, yeah. while also just having great comic book storytelling. I and, I, I okay. agree that because I was thinking about like why is this so good, and one of the things that I really appreciate about it is there's constant action and like things going a lot of on. Guest stars in guest stars, style. just all these cast of characters that are constantly rotating through there's no downtime or dull moments they don't sit in anything it's always something new happening different things going on and what's smart about it is you don't have these characters and then like oh we spend so much time on this one character like one thing happens and another thing happens then like a character goes away comes back uh it's really impressive all the things that go down in this 12 issue kind of first arc. I feel like that's one of the real reasons it, it's so good. Especially given what Alex sort of teased that we don't get to the sort of prem, full premise reveal until the very beginning of it is in the 12th issue. 
Yeah. And how would you guys feel if one of your children were just disappeared for a year and then walk back in like nothing happened? Like, that was crazy. I guess I would say first, do your chores. (laughs) They've been undone for one year. So to get back to what you were saying, Justin, about the writers, I think you're 100% correct about that. And I think that shows in terms of, in my mind, I had honestly forgotten Keith Giffen was part of this, but it makes so much sense when you get into it and when you get back to reading the book, because... The team I think about from writing this book is John Rogers and Raphael Albuquerque drawing it. And Raphael Albuquerque on art doesn't get looped in towards the end of the 12 issues. But I think that points to, first of all, that now I want to go back and read the next volume or volume three and volume four, however they collected it, because that's where the team is just rocking and rolling on all cylinders. Here it's a lot of – it's very confident at the beginning, but they're letting – Jaime's world grows slowly. Yeah. You start mm-hmm. off with Paco and Brenda, who's two friends who are just regular kids. They're all regular kids. Great. Even Jaime's a regular kid. Even after he's had these events of going into space with Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman and Green Lanterns and Green Arrow and Black Canary, he's still just way out of his depth and almost doesn't want to be a superhero. He's just like, no, no, no. I have this thing in my spine. Weird things keep happening to me. I'm going to try to protect myself if they do happen, but please just go back to my normal life, which is almost a more relatable thing than anything that happens to any other superhero. Like if any of us got superpowers, we would not be in a position where we're like, great, I'm going out literally every night, all night long, fighting criminals. That's what I do now. Instead, you'd be like, oh my God, what is happening to me? How do I balance this? Oh no, there's a big goblin guy who's attacking my family. Okay, I'm going to put on this, this costume annoying. and create some swords, but let's let's get past this. Let's do this. But I bet with the armor, he could podcast from that while oh, the same time. Oh, yeah, from oh, anywhere. Yeah, I would, I would be... listen to that. That would be great. Yeah, 100%. Especially <laughs> if he's like rescuing 12 babies by putting one of them in a microwave or something. Totally <laughs> so this gets to the second part of what I was saying that I think is tied back to the first part is accessibility. That this book... I had my alarm bells go off a little bit because I had forgotten about the tie to Infinite Crisis one year later and all of that stuff. It doesn't matter. You don't need to know that exists. You could just jump in here and know, okay, other superheroes exist. Jaime was involved in them. And it's the broadest, simplest strokes of them of, you know what Batman looks like. Here's Batman in his simplest form. We're not going to get too crazy into his continuity or anything. Here's a guy called the Phantom Stranger. There's some wild things you could know about him, but it doesn't matter other than he's a guy interested in magic and he's helping Jaime figure out what the scarab is and why it's attached to him. Or same thing with a character I'd completely forgotten pops up in here is Peacemaker. And it is a very different Peacemaker. It's the same character, but it's a very different take on Peacemaker. Rocking some crazy tats, bro. Rocking some crazy tats. He's still a military dude. He still takes no guff from anybody. Drinks milk and like water guff. right from the jug. Right from the jug. Right from the milk jug. Milk from a plastic jug. Go Don't you oh. Stop with your milk shaming, you in asshole. A hot, in the in Southwest? A no thanks. Oh, yucky. Yeah. Uh-uh. That's glorious. That's it. He's great. Right I had forgotten mouth. how much I loved Peacemaker in this book because they even find a way of tying Peacemaker. All you need to know about him is he's a military guy who's gruff and annoying and is tied to the scarab, as we eventually find out. So all of these things, they slowly fold in there. And then the third part that I kind of wanted to throw out is a discussion question, perhaps. But Mm. the discussion question version of this is, how does this book mix up the dichotomy of good versus evil? 
because I oh think that's boy. what is this well, a book club? Yeah, comic what book club? Some, this <laughs> is this is required reading. We're treating it like a comic book club. If, oh, that's a good name for a podcast. No, no, it's nah, played out. Work. Yeah, yeah, it's for kids. Uh, but I, this is something that I was thinking about a lot while I was reading this book because I had forgotten some of the plot moves. Big spoiler here, if you haven't ever read the book, I will mention it up front. This is the thing that we're kind of hinting out before, but it turns out the Scarab is bad. Like, the Scarab is the first part of this alien race called the Reach that is sent to scout out planets in order to conquer them. There's a big fight with the Green Lantern, Guy Gardner, who's kind of a jerk anyway, so you sort of understand where it's coming from, but Green Lantern's other people are basically driven crazy in proximity with the Scarab. That's how bad it is. This is kind of a broken scarab we eventually find out, mostly in volume two. But we get hints of this throughout. People tell Jaime that. They're like, nope, that scarab is bad news. You should not have that scarab. That's not good. Well, if anything, like, crawls into your skin and then attaches mm-hmm. itself to your spine, like, it's probably not a well, good thing. Well, but that thing. also extends what? to who are ostensibly the villains of the piece. Uh, we get a couple of them, but the main ones is we get a gang called the Posse who have different superpowers. They seem like, uh-oh, they're Love the bad guys, guys in Jaime's town, but they're actually not. They're yeah. they're trying to protect each other. They're trying to keep a family unit just like Jaime is with his own literal family unit. And then you have another character called Ladama who is the crime boss in town, and she collects magical artifacts. She is the grandmother? Oh, why am I forgetting this? Uh, aunt, I believe. Aunt, there we go, of one of Jaime's friends. So you have that great family tie and that tension there. But she also wants the best for everybody. So I think one of the things that they do really nicely is, like I'm saying, they give this dichotomy of good and evil that you expect in a superhero comic, and it shakes it up in a big way and tries to treat it more realistically. I Yeah, I really did. A re- rereading that, I really had a real appreciation because there was this one part where he's hanging out in the schoolyard and nobody can see the kind of posse. And he walks over there and is like, what's up? Like, what's going on? And instead of immediately fighting and holding, like, they br- kind of bring him in. They make him invisible and they have this kind of conversation. I think it's just such a cooler, you know, normally in comic books, you fight first, talk later. But I really appreciated the difference there and the kind of small, unique things that you kind of don't notice. But uh, when you kind of stand back and look at it, they make some really smart decisions throughout. And um, it's just you give a lot of credit to the or the writing. Uh, uh, it's just uh, they do some really cool moves. It's almost like they gave this new Blue Beetle some fresh eyes on good and evil, the DC universe. Uh, The premise of the Reach being there to conquer, like literally for as much as the Scarab is malfunctioning, I think what it gets chalked up to is that Jaime's morality like overcomes the programming of the the Reach's Scarab. And it's part of that, to jump off that point you're saying, Justin, it's not that he's this earnestly Captain America-style hero or Superman who always does the right thing. He's just a good kid who knows the difference between right or wrong, like most of us should do. And again, I think that really just points to the accessibility. Um, Another thing, maybe I have my timing wrong here, I probably should have looked it up, but one thing that I think seems very much of a piece with this as well is Ultimate Spider-Man, the book by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley, which particularly initially here, you get a younger character 
as a legacy superhero who has these powers that he doesn't really know what to do with. You have a little bit of the decompressed storyline going on in the first couple of issues where you have a story, but it goes over the course of a couple of issues instead of being done in one. But what I really liked about reading this volume, because the first couple of issues, I was like, okay, this is one story. I get it for like the first three or so is they really do settle into the issue by issue format as they go in a very big way. And if I did the way that Jaime matures as a hero, the title also matures in terms of the way it's telling the story as a comic book. Well, I also think it it looks forward in that way we're talking about, but it also sort of takes in all of the Blue Beetle legacy stuff. Because in the reread, I was like, why is there so much talk about magic? It's clearly robot armor he Mm -hmm. has on him. But the reason there's so much magic talk is because the Scarab in its first iteration was a magical item. And for Ted Kord, it was just like an artifact, as we learned in one of the later issues here. And so I feel like they had to pay homage to the two Blue Beetles. Ted Kord didn't have powers. His whole thing was being an inventor, technology-based, and the original Blue Beetle, magic-based. So they sort of let these two things fight each other out until we finally land on the idea that it's uh, alien technology that is uh, the cause of the the superpowers. Uh, I'll throw something out at you, and this is 100% just a theory. I agree with absolutely everything you're saying in canon in the comic book, but I think there's also a sense of, in the real world, them pacing out the mystery of what is the scarab, what is this Blue Beetle costume. And so they drive really hard on magic for the first six issues, I think, before they ultimately reveal, like, nope, that's an alien, you idiot, (laughs) in your back. Yeah. Um, is part of the real world conversation for comic book fans of building up this mystery of what is the scarab? Where does Blue Beetle get his powers from? So the more times they tell us it's magic, it's magic. Look, he's fighting magic enemies. LaDonna has magic. Her assistant is using magic. He can sense magical lines in the ground. It's got to be magic. That builds up to that ultimate reveal of, nope, it absolutely isn't. That pulls the rug out at the end. And to be clear, I don't think that's something they changed halfway through. I think that's something they knew, but they drove the reader in that direction so you wouldn't expect the actual reveal. So it becomes a surprise when Peacemaker ultimately tells Jaime at the end of issue six. And I don't want this to be the pivot into um, another the other form of media, but I bet in the movie – they will not take their time with that, and it will just be a magic. You, you a, haven't uh, seen the movie alien. yet. I have not. So I you have don't not. know. This is what's yes. called speculation, my guy. Yeah. Well, one thing I that improve. I will throw out there I, I, is, and now we're getting kind of into the movie, but uh, we had talked a little bit about how there seems to be some hints that Omak or some form of Omak is one of the villains of the movie, which I had completely forgotten how tied to Infinite Crisis, yeah. again, this book was, because we do get to see these scenes of Brother Eye, who was using Omak to infect a lot of people. So that definitely draws an exact line there. But I did want to use this as another discussion topic, which I know I said the opposite direction, but I was curious to hear from you guys. How does this story work divorced from Infinite Crisis and one year later? I think it's fine. Like, I don't, honestly, the issue where it's like, what happened to Infinite Crisis was one of my lesser. I didn't enjoy that one as much because I was like, we're we're enjoying this. This book feels like such its own thing. I don't need all of the tie back to these larger events. And it also reminded me that Infinite Crisis, I was like, ooh, Infinite Crisis. I was like, oh, right. It was just the one where Batman messed up and robots. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like it wasn't as huge cosmic event as. Wasn't there something else going on at the same time? I should probably look this up, but yes, I think there was but, that and then something else was happening at the same time. Yes, but I, I'm just talking about for our purposes here. Sure. I was like, 
the and OMAC has always for some reason I don't love OMAC. I, I think it's my pet peeve. I know other people do do like OMAC. So I uh, I don't think we need any of that to make Blue Beetle sing. Infinite Crisis was that the Superboy Prime one? No, I think wasn't that Final Crisis. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was. So you had the OMAC, and this is very much a side trip, but you had the OMAC and Brother Eye stuff going at the same time as Superboy Prime and Alexander Luther had broken out of this crystal prison and they were breaking continuity and all this other stuff and attacking the DC universe. So there was a bunch of stuff happening there. But I, I get your point. Uh, I want to get back to the uh, the gangs and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I just really think that it was, you know, we see all these like bad guys and villains and, and comic book and TV shows. But I think that they made some really unique choices with these characters. And uh, they just did like the lady with no eyes was so creepy and cool. And like that giant sweaty guy was so interesting. Mm-hmm. And then just kind I of like the sweaty he was. Yeah, and I have the, that superpower. Me too, buddy. Me too. But uh, also, like the guy was just kind of like a giant cannonball. I, I just think that there was some really creative swings here. Um, and I feel like when you have like a gang of goons or whatever, there's always like something like, oh, that's cle- clearly a ripoff or whatever. But I really was impressed by how original and kind of unique they were and uh, how different that they kind of felt than. You know, at this point, we've consumed so much comic book and so much uh, comic book movies that uh, it's surprised to be impressed this much about something, especially that was back in the the 2000s. Well, I think two other ways that this book separates itself is uh, the the family, the real sense of family that the book has, both Jaime's family, which we get... Uh, the very upsetting moment when he comes back after being gone for a year and his sister his doesn't dad. like him, his dad has yeah. changed. Like really smart choices to have the one year later not just affect his family, but affect him, uh, not affect him, but also his family in very mm-hmm. real ways. And um, the way that his friends are part of the family, he reveals himself and the fact that he is Blue Beetle to his family right at the beginning. I think that's going to be a big part of the movie. Yeah. The other thing is a real sense of place. Like you really feel El Paso here, the colors. Like it it's really also a character that. in the comic. I would book. never say those words. I would never say those words. But it does feel like you have a lot of oranges and yellows, very like Southwest energy. And I think we got to shout out the artist because I think Raphael uh, Albuquerque gets so much credit as like the Blue Beetle artist. But uh, Cully Hamner and um, and uh, Duncan Rouleau, I think, are great here as sort mm-hmm. of like. Yeah, uh, Cully is the main uh, artist, and then uh, Duncan was sort of like they call it the guest artist, but actually comes back a couple times. Totally agree. I mean, particularly Cully Hamner setting the tone for everything yeah. can't be understated there because it hits the ground running in terms of the look. Like you're saying, the colors are great. That just gives it. I mean, obviously, it's a completely different location, but it gives it such a different feel from so many Gotham City books, Dark so many Metropolis books. Yeah, yeah. It's different. It's wide. It's open. The characters look different. You also have teens who look like teens instead of small adults, you know? like small old comic, Yeah, small old people, small Carls from Up, right? <laughs> yeah, the up. oldest person, famously. <laughs> Carl from Up. Yep, there you go. Uh, so I like that. Also, another thing that I think separates it is 
the lack of tragedy, you know, you sort of expect at this point that he would come back one year later and his dad is dead and you don't know why and he has to solve that mystery or something. But it's a much stronger choice to have his dad got shot by the guy that he hired because Jaime wasn't available to work, which bums Jaime out for approximately two panels before his friends say, Stop it. it No, what are you doing? You didn't mean to do this. And he's still going to feel that anyway. But it really shows a big difference between a 2000s comic and, say, something from any previous decade where they would have really dived into, dove dove into that idea of this tragedy is the thing that powered him. And he's like, ah, my father got shot and I got to track down the criminal who did that. And that's why a blue beetle here, it, it bums him out. He moves on, but he still wants to protect his family. And ultimately, his family is cool with him being Blue Beetle as long as he continues to do his schoolwork and let them know where he's going. And I love that. Yeah. So yeah. Again, it points to this the specialness, the uniqueness of Jaime and why he was able to rewrite the uh, the killer instinct of an alien scarab. Yeah. What I'm nervous about is, like, I love this Spiders. comic so much um, Is it spiders? Sorry, did, yeah, I, are you nervous about spiders? Um, sure, in general, but I'm just worried that like it's weird because there's one right above your head. Like, ah, it's crazy uh, how close it is to your head. Uh, anyways, I I wonder like let's bring the spider onto the podcast. Spider, what's your take <laughs> on Blue Beetle Volume One? I um, like other bugs. <laughs> like more, more bug. Comics. What do we as fans want from the movie? Do we want them to follow this comic? Well, hold on, hold on. We're not there yet. I know we've been jumping around and talking about the movie a little bit. But we're definitely going to like speculate and talk fully about the movie towards the end here. Okay, um, is this the, just the spider section where we're talking yeah, about spiders? Is, oh, okay. what about Every required reading is. We talk about the book for a little bit, then we turn to a spider, not the same spider, obviously, every time. Yeah, obviously. I'm the Spider-Man of this universe. (laughs) (laughs) I did want to ask you specifically on the comic book, Justin, you said that the Infinite Crisis issue was your least favorite, maybe, but what is your most favorite? What issue jumped out to you on reread that you particularly liked? Justin, be positive first. Be positive at first and always. I mean, this is goes against what I was just saying about the art, uh, the art team that brought it forward. But the Raphael Albuquerque issues, uh, which I think are maybe it's just twelve, but maybe some mm-hmm. fill in and the half of the half of the issue in an earlier one, is really where you see it all lock into place. Like the the full look of Blue Beetle uh, is there in when Raphael takes over. So I love that issue for sure. Um, what else? I mean, the, the peacemaker stuff, the road trip issue is really nice as well. Cause you get Jaime and Brenda hanging out, see what's going to happen there. And peacemaker being the uh, gruff uncle. That's fun. Yeah. Drinking milk on the road, you know, uh, I, I going to have to, cause you know, you, I knew I would call, you were going to say 12 cause it was the most recent one you read. So of course that's going to be your favorite. You don't know what order I read these in. Uh, you don't know me. Yeah. Know you a little bit. Um, I'm gonna say the first issue. It's it's just yeah. such a fantastic first issue that doesn't you know do a lot of things that a first issue normally does. Like it, like we have said, it's confident in itself and what's happening, and doesn't feel like it needs to like grab the reader. Oh, well, let's go back and now we'll do the story. You know, start with this huge. So I was really impressed with. 
the kind of pace it set out and the way it's just kind of sat in the family um, and it kind of has that as home base, which uh, I think was uh, really well done. I This may have been the issue you were saying, Justin, but I think my favorite, which I had completely put out of my mind, is the um, wrong turn on the way to Albuquerque issue, which is the one where Brenda gets sucked through a mother box and sent to this planet. Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be a backup for New Genesis, but actually was turned into a horrible war, war world by one of their enemies. And it's filled with these titled creatures that seem cute at first, but ultimately want to sacrifice her and drink her blood. Yeah, great comedy it's, issue. Great comedy issue. That was, I believe, the first full issue drawn by Raphael Albuquerque per the title. Yes. And it's also uh, written solo by John Rogers and just re- really leads into a lot of fun continuity stuff. Metron is a character that I don't normally care about at all, but he's used to really fun effect here. The stuff riffing on New Gods is great. All the jo- jokes are great. It just moves really well. And... Uh, I don't know. It, it made me laugh out loud while I was reading it. So that was definitely one that jumped out to me. That's good. One. The one I was talking about was the road trip where they're going to mm. uh, talk to the um, original Blue Beetles family to learn. Yeah. About I like that character, too. They end up talking to Danielle Garrett is, I think, her name, yeah. who goes by Dad Garrett and kind of tricks them a little bit. But her straightforward factuality is such a different rhythm from everybody else. That's fun. And we also, again, she's just super pot. Sorry. She's just super positive. She's just like, Oh, you're here. Blue beetle. I love that stuff. Let's talk about it. Here are some facts about it. Uh, which is just like Jaime in a way. And I love the villain. There's this recurring villain throughout the volumes where it's this gobbling guy who gets summoned, who is just chasing after him. Getting back to the good versus evil thing here, he's wrecking stuff all over the place, including killing a priest inside of a church, which, mind you, is bad. But his main Mm. goal is, please just send me back to hell. I just want to go back to hell. I don't want to be here anymore. Blue Beetle, you're the only person that can free me from this. Um, which I think is, again, like kind of an interesting motivation. And ultimately, that's an issue that really drives into the core superhero ethical quandary of killing, not killing. And the Scarab wants to kill at all points. And Jaime puts his foot down at that moment and says, nope, that's not something we're going to be doing. We're not going to be killing people. I'm not going to let that happen. Even though Peacemaker ultimately kind of tricks him into killing the Goblin guy anyway. But but I, I like that issue, too. He hits him with like a neurotoxin or something. Yeah, and he makes something. it, up he with makes it in the milk jug. jug. Yep. That's you make anything in a milk jug. Oh man. So yeah. many uses. Yes. What and else? then you can use his like a floating device. You know what I mean? If you, you can, I mean, there's just yeah. some. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pete, we went water skiing a couple of weeks ago and you did, you refused a life jacket and just held an empty milk jug in your hands. Yeah. It still worked. And drowned. You almost drowned. Yeah. Uh, Pete died. This is the ghost of Pete. There's, that that explains a, all the spiders. Difference. Between almost dying and dying. Thanks, Doc. It's huge. <laughs> the, any other notes from the books that you want to call out? Any other things from the issues that jumped out to you in particular? I think it's just it was such a smart choice to kind of bring this team together. And, uh, you know, uh, just super impressed with this. I will say when I bought the volume yesterday at the comic book shop, I was with my kids and the guy at the store said, ooh, is this your first time reading it? And I said, well, not me. I've read it before, but it's going to be their first time because I'm going to pass it. I passed it to my kids after I was done. Mm. And he was after like, you die. Like their inha- after their inheritance? Die. Yeah, it's their inheritance. <laughs> it's everything I'm wow. leaving to them. And the guy at the, behind the counter was like, ooh, you're in for a treat. And I was like, 
And then I read it and I was like, yeah, that was a nice treat. Uh, so and then you he winked treat, and vanished in a cloud of smoke? and vanished <laughs> and just a puff of spiders everywhere. Wow. It was awful. Did you, you what, like, did you say my name? My point <laughs> being, if you're interested in Blue Beetle the movie, if you're interested in checking out, this is a great gateway comic for people, I think, to just hand them, yeah. get them yep. interested in the DC universe, get them interested in Blue Beetle. It's a perfect volume. Definitely pick it up. Why great. don't It's we, a great... It's a great gateway drug of comics to this movie to get addicted to this product. Yeah. There you go. Get high on this great movie. By the way, it's not free. First one's not free. For cocaine, uh, which we're going to be doing next. Yeah. <laughs> required, required snorting. Required snorting. <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> it is. Why don't we talk about the movie then? Based on this book, I know we jumped around some stuff, but Pete. You were throwing some stuff out earlier. Now is the time to lay it all down. Go for it. Uh, yeah. So the uh, purist in me wants to see this exactly on the screen because I love no. it so much. I want to see this exactly panel for panel uh, up on the screen because uh, I just think it's so great. I don't want them to mess with it. Uh, but... It'll be interesting because now the trend is you'd love this. Well, we're going to tweak it a little bit and then kind of make you see something new, but it still feels the same. So I'm hoping that that's what we get, that they maybe change some things for the movie, but keep the kind of spine intact. You know what mm. I'm saying? Really? I get it. What about you, Justin? What are you thinking about the movie, particularly after reading this book? I'm excited for it. I hope they um, use a lot of these elements we've talked about. It has a real sense of place, which is hard in the way that we make our superhero movies now because it's so much CGI. But more importantly, the sense of family. I think this movie is going to be Spider-Man smashed into Iron Man with the uh, family sensibility of the shazam Wow, I was with you right up until the end. Yeah. I'm not saying it's good. That's, I'm not pushing these <laughs> ideas. That's just what I think it's going to be. I'm very excited for this. I think they've got really good bones to work off of with this book. Uh, I think, like you're saying, the biggest takeaway here is the family. And just based on the trailers and everything, they seem to have lifted that directly. I do hope they get Paco and Brenda right. We didn't talk about them much with the book, but they're such great supporting characters. They've got inner lives of their own, even though... Even though they don't get a ton of screen time and most of their stuff is around Jaime, I feel like you know them from the second that they walk. Yeah, the it really it has that feeling to it. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a little bit of shipping stuff in this volume with Brenda and Jaime, but spoiler here, heads towards Paco and Brenda a little bit. So say, well, we th- get a little bit of a tease in this mm-hmm. uh, in this volume about that. So I hope we get a little bit of that too. I like the romance stuff. So. Uh, hopefully, we'll, hopefully there'll be some sort of romance in this Hollywood movie, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bad guy. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, no way. Uh, I was going to say, I feel like the, the one year later or some time passing is so um, integral to the comic book story, not just because of the infinite crisis connection, but because of the family sort of being, uh, putting Jaime outside of themselves and him having to work his way back in to his friends' lives changing. Mm-hmm. Do you think there would do some, maybe not a year, but some sort of time dash? In, I don't in the movie? think so. I think they're, I was thinking about that a little bit, particularly after reading the first issue and forgetting that Green Lantern Guy Gardner shows up right at the beginning. 
I would bet this was originally supposed to be an HBO Max movie, which just carries with it a much smaller budget. Ultimately, they liked it enough to kick some more money and reshoots its way, and then ultimately decided to put it in theaters because priorities with the company changed with Warner Brothers Discovery. But I think they're just going to go for a smaller story of it's on Earth. Maybe there's some mysteries about where the scarab comes from, but I don't think you're going to get a whole alien invasion plot or anything like that. You're not going to get Green Lanterns. You're not going to get credit. Yeah, post credit is going to be like time to get that scarab, and mm. that's um, that's really good. Who thank you. who are you doing? Who is uh, that? The reach. I'm the reach. It's oh, okay. a little, You're this accent, okay. this voice is a little bit of a reach. I wasn't sure if that was supposed <laughs> to be Guy Gardner or what. Mm, I thought you ask? were the lead singer of Bush uh, <laughs> as a member of the reach. Glycerine. Is that right? What did yeah. you say? Glycerine. Purple rain? Glycerine, yes. Glycerine. Yeah. Glycerine. Should have been easier on you. Anyway, I... Did get a little bummed out reading this, thinking that because of budgetary reasons, they're probably just going to keep it to the small story rather than being able to just throw it all on the table in the first movie. And that's always my preference. Just like go for the biggest story first, blow people out of the water, and then you can do more of them. Instead, like you're saying, I think we're going to get him versus Obak. He's fighting Susan Sarandon, I guess. So that should be cool. What? Susan Sarandon? She's She's been grinding my gears for a long time. (laughs) The actual Susan Sarandon. Yeah, I. this is great. One of the things that I really loved about Shazam Fury of the Gods was watching them beat up Helen Mirren and throw her through walls. So I hope we can get the same thing here with Susan Sarandon. <laughs> yeah. if what all, is happening Maybe right Aquaman now? in the Lost Kingdom. Oh, did the first Aquaman, they threw Nicole Kingman, Kidman through some walls and stuff? So if they could like really get increasingly older ladies and throw them through walls <laughs> in these DC movies, I think that's a really good mode that's for them to the pattern. be. You know, that's the pattern. Seriously, though, I think they're going to keep it small and tight to this family and comedy and sort of his development as a superhero. And then, like you're saying, we're going to get tease of the reach throughout the movie. And then if you want a sequel, then you could see it in something even bigger, which not um, stinks, but like is bums me out a little bit. But it is what it is. Right. Well, that what do you mean? Like, because we're probably not going to get a sequel or because probably we're not going to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't uh, this movie could do great, and then they're going to make a sequel. It could do great. It has been tracking for like twenty-five to thirty million dollars total. I think something like no, that. No, like that's very, horrible. I know. I think it's. This is just my suspicion. I think it's going to over-index, particularly because it's heading towards the Latinx market, which is usually not covered at all by tracking. I don't know why. Well, I know why, but I don't know why they're (laughs) not like actually chasing down that data. So I think it's going to, I hope it's going to do better than people expect. It's going to do great, man. Word of mouth is uh, going to spread about this movie. I don't know if it's even going to make like flash numbers or anything like that. And that given the place, well, just given like the size of the movie, the marketing budget and everything that they're giving for it, I hope it does better. But my worry is that it's going to do in a place where it's like, yep, that's a piece with every other DC movie we've released this year. Let's move on. And maybe they'll keep uh, Zolo Maraduena. I'm going to get that eventually. Nice. Uh, he's great, by the way. If you've never seen Cobra Kai or anything, he's so good at that and so much fun. So I'm very excited for him. But I don't know. I think we'll see him again in some sense because he's such a good, fun actor on the rise. But I don't know. 
We'll see about Blue Beetle. Too. Even if this can outperform a little bit, I think there's a chance we get to see a little That's bit true. more. So of you're Blue saying Beetle. there's a chance. <laughs> but let me throw out here, not necessarily for a full sequel, but maybe uh, the character, maybe a TV. I feel like maybe they might want to do like a TV special in the mm-hmm. vein of Werewolf by Night or something like that. That could also, cool. it'd be great if you know Peacemaker gives him a cameo in season two, and then maybe mm, you know, that's fun. Yeah. That's a good idea. I like it. The only thing, just one thing on tracking, I think we've learned over the past, both with the successes like Barbie and Oppenheimer and all the failures like Flash and all that, that tracking is just vibes. And there's no numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's broken. There's no it's formula. broken at this point. It's well, just the same as polling and politics. Like it's all, most of it, and I know we, everyone, like there is some research, but it's vibes. You can yeah. sense the vibe is swelling. Uh, the vibe is waning, and that's that to me is about it. I definitely feel on the vibe front, though, very positive vibes towards this movie online, yes. just looking through various social media networks and the Reddits and everything else. I think people are excited about it. So, again, yeah. I really hope it does well. Like we talked about, reading I'm this book I'm going to see again. it opening weekend. There you go. And we're definitely going to talk about it here on the podcast as well. So Woo-hoo. tune back in for that when we break down the movie. Don't forget to pick up Blue Beetle Jaime Ray's book one to get your prep in. It's going to be a different story, obviously, but it's a great setup for what is hopefully a great movie. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang Still? out. We would love to chat with you about Blue Beetle. It's some sort of comic book club, if you will. Oh, Oh, you can yeah. subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Android, Spotify, not Stitcher, because Stitcher is going away at the end of the month. So if you were subscribed there, please subscribe on literally any other platform. We're available everywhere. Uh, comic Book Live, Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. Comic Book Club Live on Instagram and TikTok, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Dad, give Blue Beetle a second chance. He deserves it. Yeah, yeah. Dad, I... I know I've been gone for a year, but I'm definitely going to catch up on those chores. I promise. <laughs>